Most of us want better friendships at work, but are friendships even appropriate inside your business? Today, we talk to a friendship expert, and the answer may surprise you. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 80 of the Love in Action podcast, where we help make your business and workplace be both good for people and for profits. Today, we get to explore the topic of friendships. Most of us, I would hope, have a circle of close friends and maybe even a best friend or two. Friendships are important. They're important to our personal lives and our our well-being. But what about the workplace? Well, what I know to be true is this. Most of us want better friendships at work. Maybe even, dare I say, a best friend? Because I found that it helps us to work and collaborate better. But this is perhaps where the skeptics come in. Friendships? Come on, Marcel. I mean, if you get too close to people, what will that do to things like having a professional environment or people's productivity or, you know, your ushering in favoritism and nepotism and sexual harassment if you get too close or, you know, you're creating cliques like we're back in high school or college, which then can lead to silos. I mean, are friendships even appropriate inside an organization where you have sets of rules and policies to follow. So that's my skeptical playing devil's advocate mind here. Hmm. Well, to make sense of how friendships are not only good and appropriate, but also highly desirable for so many companies is a real life bona fide friendship expert. I'm joined today by Shasta Nelson, author of three friendship books, including her brand new book called The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of the Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time. Shasta teaches the science behind how relationships work and why we should all want more friendships at work. She's been interviewed all over the place. TV shows like Katie Couric, Fox Business, The Early Show, The Today Show, and the Steve Harvey Show. She's also been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the LA Times. I can't wait to get into this topic with someone that I can also call a friend myself, someone I've personally known and followed for years now. Shasta, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) What an honor. I've been looking forward to this for weeks now. So we could have a nice little chat about the good old days, but we're going to stick to the theme of the podcast in this conversation. Hopefully you and I will connect later to talk about life. But here we always start with a gratitude moment. And that is what makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? Well, as cheesy as it sounds, if I were being completely honest, it's like I wake up and I turn over and I see my husband in bed. And every morning I'm just like, oh my goodness, you're still here. This is amazing. <laughs> and it's been it's been almost 16 years. And the crazy thing is like, I just still get excited. It's almost like you forget momentarily when you're sleeping who you are and what life you have. And you wake up and you're just like, oh, this is good. This is good. <laughs> well, hopefully it's the same case for him, right? When he rolls over, <laughs> <it's easy. laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. He's just getting doted over, so he's happy. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, let's talk about this book of yours. Well, you've had three books, but I'm bringing you especially because this is a business book. Mm-hmm. So why specifically this book? Why now? <laughs> well, it's so funny that the way you set that up, Marcel, because I found myself writing books and talking about friendship for you know the last decade. And I would often say, why are businesses not taking all of this research seriously? Because I've come across all the research around like how important it is for companies and employees to have best friends at work. And I kept being like, why do businesses not see this as a business subject? Like that was kind of like this big, bothersome, annoying thing to me. The research was so strong. And it's like, I was like, you almost have to write the book saying this is a business subject before people are like, oh, we should be talking to her. We should be talking about this. Like this is a business subject. And so from the business angle, that like really motivated me being like, this is research that's not being taken seriously. But on the other side of it, having talked about friendship for so long with people, if you ask any audience, any group, like what's the number one obstacle to you not being closer and having more friends? Like, why are you feeling lonely? The most common answer is I'm too busy. <laughs> like, we just don't feel like we have the time to have that kind of consistency with people that warrants that leads to that level of intimacy. And so that's where my brain started being like, you know, I can talk people into like one more guys weekend a year or maybe one more phone call a week, but it's not going to like shift the real dial. When 61% of us are lonely on a somewhat regular basis, we're not doing something right. And that's really what pushed me into saying, let's start with spending, uh, let's start talking about where we spend most of our time. If time is the big issue for our, why we're lonely, then let's look at where we spend time and how do we change that? So that really is what pushed me in to saying, we've got to do this. And it was just frosting on the cake that it's actually really beneficial for businesses and companies too. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, at a crucial time too. And you mentioned loneliness. We're going to tackle that topic in a minute. But first, let me frame this discussion with some data and context because you conducted this interesting survey and you call it the Friendships in the Workplace Survey. And I'd like to ask you to kind of dissect that for us about how people feel about whether friendships are appropriate or not. So what did you find? Yeah, so we had 30 questions, which is a lengthy survey for sure. And almost almost 600 people ended up taking it and answering these questions, which was super helpful. And I would say like broad strokes, and I all throughout the book, I have graphs and charts showing some of those things and lining up other people's research with it. But broad strokes, I would say like 70% of us are like, yes, it's appropriate. But 30% of us are like, eh, you know, kind of to your intro when you're naming all these things. When I've written other books, people were never like, oh, you should not write a book about building closer relationships. But when I was like, I'm writing a book about friendships in the workplace, everybody's like, really? Like, ah, and got, you know, feels a little, it's like controversial for some reason. So that shows 30% of us are like, yeah, not so sure. Other, but one of the really interesting things that all the way through the research was I could parse it out by those who said, you know, when I asked the question, do you have a best friend at work? Interestingly enough, they could say definitely true, probably true. I don't know, not true. You know, and so there was like the levels there. And it was really interesting how many of us were like, yes, definitely. Some of us were like, probably. Some of us were like, I don't know, <laughs> which is intriguing to me too. And anyways, but I could take it and take any level of how somebody answered that question or any question. But that one was really interesting that those who had a friend, and then if I just compared their, all their answers to somebody who does not have a best friend and compare all their answers, that was the most fascinating part of this whole thing. So if they have a best friend at work, they actually are 90% likely to think it's appropriate to have a best friend at work. Mm. If they don't have a best friend at work, they're like, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but way less likely, like 30, 40% more likely to think friendship's appropriate at work. If we have a best friend at work, 
We love our job more. We have more energy. Like just across the board, those who said they have a best friend at work, every other question I asked them was way different and way more positive and way more hopeful than those who don't have a best friend at work. You know, if you ask like what their fears were, what their, have they fought with a friend? I mean, it was just really interesting. Those who have had that best friend end up just really reporting greater job satisfaction mm. across the board, which is really, really compelling. And, and that also backs up so much other research in addition to, but that survey gave me so many good stories, so many good antidotes. I was able to lead to a lot of interviews. It's really, really, yeah, just really great fodder for really diving in deeper into what we're, what we're scared of, what we're looking for, what, what means a lot to us. So it was big. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that, I mean, you tie in the research, you have anecdotal evidence all combined to bring this amazing book that is going to convince us of the benefits of, of friendship. Speaking of, so speak to the, maybe the HR person, uh, you know, up high, uh, the mm-hmm. CHRO or the CEO. I mean, based on what you have found, why should they want to build a culture of friendships at work? Yeah, it's, I have an entire chapter devoted to that. And that was the one, it was the one chapter that my publisher came back and said, you have got to cut this down because this is just reads like data. Like it was just so, I was like, but I want it all in there. There's so much, but we did cut a lot of it out. But I, I, it is uh, like, if you care about turnover and retention, this is the issue that it comes down to. If you care about resilience in your workforce, you know, right now we've got a lot of people in healthcare and a lot of jobs where we are getting burned out at high rates. If you care about your people being able to kind of recover from that and come back, it comes down to how supported they feel by their colleagues and by their team. If you care about engagement, <laughs> Gallup is famous for always saying like the most em- engaged employees, one of their biggest factors is whether I have a best friend at work. Everyone knows that question that gets asked. Yeah. Um, that comes down to you are seven times more engaged at work if you have a best friend at work. And I think if I were a manager and I heard the number like you're twice as engaged, that would be impressive. But seven times engaged, I'm like, I don't even know what that looks like. That's crazy. But it looks like better customer service. It looks like more safe brainstorming and having creative options. It looks like being able to apologize more and, and treat your treat empathy and show up with a more respect and empathy for each other. It looks like caring about not just diversity, but the inclusion element. So when you really look and you make a list of everything you care about, I mean, if as an HR person, you care about the mental health of your employees, it comes down to relationships. If you're caring about lowering your, your healthcare costs, it comes down to how supported and loved we feel in life. So really, when you look at every single item that you are laying awake at night worried about, at the pretty much at the foundation of it comes down to a question of how supported, how appreciated, how loved, how connected, how much do your people feel like they belong? And so whether we use the word friendship or not, what we're looking for, every single one of us is a positive, meaningful workplace where we feel like we're cared about and where we feel like somebody's got our back, where we feel supported, and across the board, that's going to uh, that's going to always, always, always raise raise your revenue and lower your costs. Mm, Shasta, I could end right here, and this will be the, the shortest, the most convincing episode we've ever had. <laughs> We're done. And, <laughs> and if you're in HR or a CEO, you're now excused if you if you need to go because I think you got no, no, what you okay. needed. <laughs> so you quoted. Dr. Annie McKee, which I, we had on the episode way back to episode 14, she came on the show and you said this, quoting uh, Annie from her book, How to Be Happy at Work. And she said, one of the most pernicious myths in today's organizations is that you don't have to be friends with your coworkers. Common sense in my decades of, re- of work with people and companies shows the exact opposite. 
So mm. clearly, we need to change our mindset and belief around friendships at work to overcome what Annie is saying is a, is a myth that we still hang on to. So what's a good starting point? Yeah, I mean, this truly is a myth that the research does not bear. That's what's so crazy. And that's, I mean, I don't really just mean to keep like hitting this, but like one of the biggest studies that came out while I was writing this book last year was um, Myers-Briggs Institute did a, you know, 110 countries, 10,000 employees, kind of asking like, what's the bottom line for your job satisfaction? And I was not surprised that your relationship with your coworkers was up towards the top. I was shocked that it was number one though. I mean, it still, it still kind of shocks me and I've been in this work for so long. It beats out your pay. It beats out like your job role and your title and your, like what you're doing and the belief you have in your, your value of your organization. I mean, it's just, we want to be liked. Every single one of us wants to feel connected and work is to us as adults, what school was to us when we were kids. And we all are having this huge national conversation right now about our kids need socialization. We need socialization. This is a human need. I mean, this is not just like, oh, that'd be fun if we just all like each other. This is what we are built for. This is what we function best when we feel like we're in community. And so it just comes down to like, I'm still like, why are we fighting this? You know, like, what is the resistance to saying, let's get along. Let's do the best we can. Let's love each other. Well, let's like do the, we're making a difference in the world. Whatever our organization or mission statement is, we're doing this because we believe in this. We all want to come and make our best contribution. Let's do it together, you know? And so to me, it really is, we need to just say, this is a myth. We need to just name that. We need to keep saying that is a myth. My brain might sit there and look for evidence like, well, but I'm scared of these things. And we can talk about that more soon. Those things are not problems with friendship. Those things are just human interactions. You can have no friends in your workplace. You can be against friendship. You can have a no friendship policy and you're still going to have gossip. You're still going to have favoritism. You're still going to have the whole list of things you're afraid of. So we just need to actually talk about it more. We need to say friendship. We need to trust the data. We need to trust that we feel better when we're connected. And now instead, let's take those fears and say, what can we do to minimize them? What can we do to help make us be healthier, to show up to them better and be more prepared for them? Like I actually believe an organization that teaches, models, encourages, trains healthy relationships will have those, all those things we're afraid of will go down and I think the organizations that are resisting this are going to experience more of the things they think of as the drama of relationships. And that's not the drama of healthy relationships. That's the drama of a bunch of non-existent or unhealthy relationships. So right. I think we just need to keep looking at the data and trusting it and saying, yeah. okay, let's, it is scary. It is a little unknown. But, you know, we used to do this back in the world, back in history. We lived in smaller communities and we did work with our friends. We did come, uh, we did go and work in the coal mines. We did like have, we were with our neighbors and our community and we worked together. We sometimes have forgotten that, but now we've just gotten really big. And it's, it's just this, it's just a silly myth that we have acted like we can compartmentalize our lives. And I think we're starting to realize that's not serving any of us. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I see startup environments being more conducive to real friendships and collaborative, collaborative environments where people care for each other. And as they grow and they go through these inflection points, they lose their identity, Shasta, and mm-hmm. friendships go by the wayside. And as they become these big corporate giants, then other things come into play and politicking, whatever, whatever the case may be. So I want you to tell us about how relationships are developed and, and how do we keep these friendships that we form positive and consistent over time? And you, you have a, a framework for that, right? Yes. And it was perfect timing because I was just like, we need to bring that up and bring that into the conversation <laughs> because, because those startups, 
it's funny, we can look at them and say they are conducive to relationships, but I interviewed a lot of people at the startups that were just like missing still one of these three elements. And so they can have the appearance of like a ping pong table and the free lunches, but that doesn't just automatically translate to not feeling lonely. And in fact, some of the events, some of the companies that have the most events, we all know what it feels like to be at a party and still feel lonely. I mean, it doesn't translate to just if we just have gather everybody up all the time, everybody will feel connected. So the three things, when we look at all the social science experiments, what we're studying when we, when researchers look, and I'm saying we collectively in the whole world, like all these different people, we've got Google studying healthy teams. We've got other organizations studying healthy marriages. We have other people studying, why do I feel closer to this person than that person? What makes trust? And so when you look at all these studies and bring them together, I found that there were three non-negotiables. So I call them the three relationship requirements. We can use different words for them, but basically every healthy relationship has to have these three things present. And any relationship, and I use relationship as two people, it can be a team. I would call culture is the relationship among all of us collectively. And so whether, uh, so any culture can be identified, you know, judged by these three things. So anything that's not feeling good is because at least one of these three things is lacking. And you spoke to two of them. One is positivity, which does not mean being Pollyanna and only saying positive things. What it does mean is doing our very best to make sure that both people, all people, leave having experienced more pleasant emotions. And so this would be things where laughter and gratitude and inspiration and pride and celebration all fall under this. It's anything that we do that's fun, that we enjoy each other, that leads us feeling good. Like that's what really when we, when we all want more friendships, none of us want more negative things. We all want it to feel good. So that one's explanatory. Then the next two, one is consistency. Consistency means that we can all go have a good time. It can be positive, but consistency is what happens when we repeat it. And that's where you build a friendship. We could get together and have one great conversation, but it's not a relationship unless we repeat it. And so consistency is the repetition. It's the shared experience. It's the time we're logging. It's the hours we're putting in. It's the memories that we're making. It's a pattern that any two people, any team, any organization are creating. It's really what says, what's the norm for us? It's the answer to that question of like, what is our friendship like? You know, we all have some friendships where the pattern is we talk once a month. We have other friendships that if we didn't hear from you every three days, we'd think, oh, what's wrong with them? And so we all have like a consistency that gets developed. It becomes the pattern of the friendship. And this is where trust happens. This is because we have a past and I know how you've behaved. I therefore have a trust that this is how you will behave in the future. So consistency is also our availability and it's our, it's our reliability and who we are showing up consistently. And then the third requirement of all healthy relationships, because you can have positivity and consistency. And that's actually interestingly how we encourage most male friendships in our culture still is go have a good time and do it regularly, get together, do an activity together. So it's positive and it's consistent. But for lack of the third, we, this is the one that makes us feel more seen and it's vulnerability. And vulnerability is where we share our ideas, our personalities, our strengths. It's where we feel known. It's where we feel like you get me. It's where we, I feel like I can say anything to my closest friends. This is the one where it's like, we feel like we can be authentic. We feel like we're accepted at work. This is where we feel seen and known. And so really you can break these three things down and every relationship has to have where we both feel. So it's a relationship we enjoy. It's a relationship we trust. And it's a relationship that we feel seen and understood in. Okay. So to boil it down, the friendship triangle is, so you have to have positivity. It has to be consistent and you have to be vulnerable in the process of all of that. Okay. Yeah. 
And so you said triangle. I put positivity on the foundation as the bottom and gotcha. the consistency and vulnerability go up. And so our vulnerability should only increase. We all start at every relationship starts on the bottom of the triangle with low levels of consistency because we don't know each other well. And therefore, it should be low levels of vulnerability. And then they, those two move up as we deepen our friendship and practice increased incremental consistency. Mm, love it. Okay. So you touched on this already. I believe we're in the middle of a loneliness epidemic. And I mean, the numbers are staggering. You cite research that 69% of employed millennials and 80% of employed Generation Z report feeling lonely. So I want to ask you to connect the dots to making friends at work or, or having a best friend at work and how this strategy can help us counter loneliness in the workplace. Shasta and I are going to dive into that after a quick break. Don't go anywhere. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now. And I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on virtual training. Okay, we're back. So Shasta, we are having a crisis of loneliness at work and that while in the middle of a pandemic where we, you know, stare into tiny squares with faces on our laptops all day. As leaders, what should we do to help counter loneliness? Mm. Well, first and easiest, I would say we just need to even be acknowledging that it's happening. We need to be speaking to the fact that we don't want it to happen. One of the things I heard the most frequently was from people when I when asked if they feel like friendships appropriate, they actually themselves think it is, but they don't think their bosses and managers do. And so that's where a lot of this is coming down to. So therefore, they like talking to their coworker and connecting, but when they see the boss starting to walk by, they feel like they have to both go quiet and put their faces right back to the screens, right? Like there's a pernicious belief that you don't want us having friends, you being the manager. So the first thing you need to be doing is saying, I want you to have friends. I believe the research. We need to be having at team meetings and saying, I would feel like a successful leader if I knew that all of you felt like you belonged here. And I want you to belong here. I want you to have healthy relationships here. And I put together a whole resource kit at thebusinessoffriendship.com where there's videos, like five minute videos that team managers could show at a team meeting talking about a, a piece of friendship. And then it opens a conversation as like, what can we be doing as a team to create more positivity as a group? So being teaching this and training for it and kind of speaking to it, making sure your employees know what resources your organization has, like 
I want all of you to feel like you are loved and belonged here. And here's some of the resources. We've got these employee resource groups, you know, and being able to talk about all the different resources. Talking about your own friendships. The leaders, I interviewed one for one chapter book on like, should our leaders have more friends? I have very strong opinions about this not being okay to believe that we should just lonely at the top. Our leaders need to feel more connected in big, big, big ways. And yeah, and so when I'm interviewing them, the best leaders, the ones who felt connected themselves were the ones who talked about their, how important their work friendships have been to them. And so I spoke at one conference and I was so amazed. The, the woman who introduced me at the conference, she got up and she showed pictures on the screen of her work friends and told stories about how much she would not have gotten to where she was in her career if it weren't for this group of women. And she gets together with them every year. And she just, it made it so that every, she goes, I want every single one of you in this room to have what I've had. And she got up there. I mean, by the time I got up there, my job was like easy. All I had to do was be like, here's how to do it now. Everybody wanted it. But she gave them permission to want it, you know, and gave them and was willing to talk about it herself without worrying like, well, I don't want to make them feel bad. I don't want to make anyone feel jealous. I don't want to. I want to, we always feel like we have to treat everybody like, I don't want anyone to feel like they're not my best friend. So I think we really have to just start leaning into acknowledging this is important. And if a manager could just do those, like just believe it and start giving permission is really going to turn the tide. Yeah, I totally agree, Shasta. You know, and even for people that are just, I don't know, maybe they, they're getting the wrong impressions about the friendship angle. The research is overwhelming about the word belonging. Mm. And how belonging can actually counter these feelings of loneliness and isolation in the workplace. And really, it's just rallying the people around your common cause and bringing people together. That's a very tall order for a, a manager, a leader who is putting out fires and, and just being in a reactive mode all day to actually do that. So I'm just kind of validating what you just said and what the science is saying, that we have to have more cultures of belonging and you call it a friendship culture. And so we're talking about the same language here and tying that into... Can yeah, I just say ahead. one thing about that? Because I do think it's interesting. So I sat with, do I call this book the business of friendship? Do I call it, you know, the, what do, do I take that word out? I'm a friendship expert, but I don't want, I don't need that word if it's going to hurt. Gallup, has tested this word. I have a best friend at work and we have, they've had more pushback to that question. There have been companies that don't want to use their engagement inventory because of that question. And they tested it with, I have friends at work. I like people at work. I have close friends at work. They have comparatively tested it to everything else. And they said, trust us, we would be the first ones to take that sentence out except for one stubborn fact. It is the most predictive correlation of, I have a best friend at work. Those are your people who are your best employees. And so I'm all for the word belonging. I'm all for all these other words. And let's not get lost. We each need to feel like we have this best friend at work too. And so it really does speak to the fact that we, we are, we're naming friendship stuff and we're scared of the word. And at some point, maybe we just reclaim the word and say, yeah, we need friends. We're human beings. We are meant to be doing life together. And so I think there's, yes, we want to belong. And yes, we need best friends there too. So it's mm. kind of a, it's a, it's a both and. And I think we need yeah. to get more comfortable with the word too. Yeah, love that you uh, clarified that for us. You're right. It is a both and. And I appreciate that bringing us back to what Gallup has already found in millions of their surveys as well. So let's talk about sticking to the loneliness theme. And that is, Mm -hmm. I found it interesting that new hires and entry-level workers (laughs) are lonelier than those with more experience or long Mm -hmm. tenure. So Mm -hmm. how do we address that as leaders? Yeah, 
yeah, it's really, when we start parsing out who's lonely at work, it really does invite us to be way more intentional about this. And the new hire thing is interesting, especially now when so many of them are being hired and where they're working remote, yeah. it becomes really important, even harder for a new hire or a, a newer person. So here's one of the things like this shows that we need, the research is showing that we need like three to six months at a job before we start feeling close to people. Um, outside of jobs, the research is showing that it takes about 50 hours of interacting before we feel like we go from stranger to like a casual friend. It takes 80 to 100 hours before we feel like we're friends. And so one of the important things here is that's why friendship felt easy when we were kids is that the consistency was automatic. And that's why we're still building most of our, our number one way of making friends is still the workplace right now. Whether we like it or not, it's happening because the consistency is happening. We are not having to invite each other. It's just, we're just showing up. We're both paid to show up at the same place. But now in a remote situation, you look at these new hires or newer employees and they don't have those 50 hours of interaction with each of us yet. They don't have the, the three or six months of consistency and a pattern to feel close to us. And so the number one thing we can really be doing is being very intentional about that, helping them build those bridges. We have a culture that is, as we collectively are hate initiating. We're horrible at like wanting to reach out to strangers. We have all kinds of fears that come up. And so it's really important that as a manager, that's something I can step in and do. I can say, hey, I've lined up a phone call with somebody in our organization every Thursday at 10 a.m. And just here's some sample questions that you might want to ask each other. But it's really meant for you just to get to know different people in the organization. And I just want you to, to get a chance to ask them questions and get to know them and share a little bit about yourself. And so, you know, I'm just taking the liberty to do this because I want you to start feeling more connected or to be able to in every team meeting, one of the most important things we can do as leaders is make sure you go back to that triangle and say, if I want my people to bond, if I want this person to bond, what are we doing to create consistency, positivity, and vulnerability? And so what I'm hearing right now when I'm doing studies of teams at this point is that a lot of companies have figured out the consistency piece remotely. They were like, okay, here's our Zoom meetings and here's like this. And so they've put together the new pattern and the technology and the way to communicate and the Slack channels and the email rules and all that stuff. But a lot of people are reporting not feeling closer to their people right now. And it's for lack of positivity and vulnerability. So we're busy all day. We're connected all day. We're talking, but we're not feeling more seen and we're not enjoying it. <laughs> so really, as a manager, we can start saying, okay, what can I do to help bring positivity and vulnerability into my team meeting so that when these new hires and anybody in my team is, has a higher likelihood of bonding? So can I put them in breakout groups, smaller groups, and ask them a sharing question where they're getting to talk with each other? Can we brainstorm what leaves us all feeling inspired? Can we start like Marcel's question at the beginning? Like, what, what, what do you wake up and feel grateful for? Like, what can I be doing to help invoke positive feelings? Can I give them an unexpected gift this week? You know, can I, what, what can we do to invoke positive feelings and help them see each other? And so we have a huge responsibility in shaping how am I fostering vulnerability, positivity, and consistency on this team for my new hires, for everybody, people of color, are reporting greater loneliness, leaders are reporting lonely, greater lo men are reporting greater loneliness, anybody with poor or fair mental or physical health is reporting greater loneliness. And right now our mental health is off the charts. So as a leader, we really need to be saying probably the most important thing we can be doing right now is helping my people feel supported and seen in this space whenever I have them. And I need to keep, keep making that happen for them. Mm -hmm. Shasta, how do we avoid the toxic side of friendships? Not that the friendships are toxic, but we may be contributing to a toxic environment without even knowing it. I'm talking about things that like gossip, for example, or mm -hmm. you know, you, maybe you, you break a personal boundary with a friendship at work. Or if you're a manager, you become friends with your coworkers so, and then you start to show favoritism. So 
How do we, as we build these close relationships, how do we avoid these things? Well, I, I sound like a broken record. I'm like, train for healthy relationships. But truly, so I have one whole chapter in the book on how to deal with toxic relationships because that one, it comes up a lot. And it goes back to the triangle of being able to sit there and we now we have information that we can repair a relationship. We can actually sit there and say, okay, well, this person I have consistency with, I have to interact with them all the time. And boy, they're sharing their whole life with me. It's vulnerable. Like I go like blah, blah, blah. But I do, I'm drained. I'm exhausted. Okay. So now I know that I need to figure out how can I minimize or decrease the negativity or how can I increase the positivity in this relationship? And so it starts giving us direction as to how to strategize how we might repair certain relationships. It also gives us information of how we can minimize certain relationships. And just as relationships practice these three things to move up the triangle, we can also bring them and bring our expectations down. So it's really important once we start understanding like the mechanics of a relationship, it gives us so much information. So as a, like one of my favorite chapters to write was what, you know, what if one of my friends becomes my boss or can I be friends with the boss or can our bosses have friends? And I put a whole list of questions in there that are, are questions that I say, you should be sitting down and having a lunch. If you're going to claim to be friends, then be vulnerable. Like that's one of the things. And so the most healthy relationships are those that talk about their relationship, not just have the relationship. So when we're dating, we know this to be true. You can date, you can date. And we know that it's a different level of bond when we say, so what exactly are we, right? Like when we start having the bigger conversation about our relationship, not just the two of us separately, but the two of us together. And those are the best relationships that can talk about the relationship. How can we improve this? So to sit down with our friend who just got promoted and to have these conversations, to ask each other, like, what would be the greatest thing we'd be afraid of that could happen when, we're, when you're my boss? And let's both talk about that and share that. And what would you want us to do in that situation? And what if I did have to reprimand you? God forbid, I would hope I never have to. But what if I did? How would you want me to do that? You know, and so have these harder conversations before there's an issue. Like, just trust and assume there are going to be some sticky issues. But we're mature. And what we need to do is learn how to be more mature in our relationships, not less mature. So we need to be talking about relationships more, not less. And I think that would do a lot of service to all of us in all of our relationships, honestly. Mm, mm. Okay, so speak to the CEO who is buying into this idea of uh, building a culture of, of friendship, right? Yay, CEO! <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps there are obstacles in the way. What would you say are common obstacles that are in the way of, of doing that? And how do we get around it, really? Yeah, well, the biggest obstacle we've addressed is like the mental obstacle. Like we're, We are afraid that when we hear the word vulnerability, we're picturing people just sobbing and telling their personal drama stories. And that's just simply not the case. <laughs> vulnerability at the workplace is actually one of the most significant things. It's where you get your creativity from. It's where you get honesty. And like, there's so much beautiful stuff. That, and it's not about disclosure. So really, it's just letting go of some of our fears around some of these words. I think we just have so much fear that has gotten in there. But I would say another big obstacle is the, the, I'll tell you the secret of all my, all the, all the offsites I've done and all the studies I've done of teams where I have, I have an assessment that's at the business of friendship.com. I made it free actually. Um, so any team can take this assessment and it has them ask, asks 10 questions of positivity questions, consistency questions and vulnerability questions and gives you, you gives each person a score as to how much they feel like on their team, they're experiencing this. So I've gone in and I can do it where it's all anonymous, of course, and everybody's scores come into me. And I can say for your team, your positivity score is 67, your consistency score is 87, and your vulnerability score is 63. And we can go and start looking at that as a culture. We've, I've done entire organizations. I did one company where he had 35 different offices around the country, and we did every single office. We did it collectively, and we measured it by each office. 
They gave him so much information to say, wow, I have five offices that are like all under 60 on the scores across the board, or I have a vulnerability issue in my organization. But I've done all this testing and I will say the biggest obstacle collectively is the positivity one. That is consistently the lowest score. Everybody thinks vulnerability is going to be the lowest score. And they, it's actually positivity most often. And so really it's sitting back and saying, we know from science that you have to have five positive interactions for every negative interaction for a relationship to be healthy. So the more stressful your environment is, the more stress the teams are experiencing, that, that, that negativity is going up and we have to be even more intentional to do everything we can to deal with stuff when it comes up and bring that negative down and do everything we can to be thinking all the time about how we can add positivity. And it doesn't have to be huge things. We've got to figure out how to keep inspiring people, how to keep celebrating people, how to, how to, be, how to increase pride in our organization. And so that's, those are the conversations I love going in and having, but it's often coming down to a positivity issue. Yeah, thank you for that. I love that you gave us some tips. So right now, and speaking to my listeners, if you want to start developing really good friendships and even maybe have best friends at work, start with having five positive interactions versus, well, you don't want to have any negative interactions, Shasta, but I'm saying- But they happen. They always happen. It just happens. Right. It does. We annoy Uh, each other, even if we don't want to. (laughs) So I mean, yeah, a negative interaction might be something like gossip, where it tears down another human being, right? But in your friendships, you want to have five positive interactions. That's kind of at the base. And that will help you to move up the triangle to become more vulnerable and more consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shasta, I, uh, I want to move into a question that I always ask my guests. Okay. So, and I always save this question because so many people work in uh, fear-based work settings. Mm. They fear their bosses. They fear losing their jobs. They fear speaking up. So why do you think that fear-based management styles are still so prevalent today when we have the evidence, I mean, Gallup and others, that practical love and care toward people, meaning our employees, lead to good business outcomes? Hmm. It's a really thoughtful question, Marcel. And I, I, it's a good thing for organizations and all of us to grapple with. And it's, it kind of breaks my heart right now because I think fear is just high in all of us right now, individually. And so it makes sense to me why it's happening collectively. If you have a whole bunch of people who are worried for their health, worried for their country, worried for, I mean, there's a lot of things to be fearful of in real life. And every single one of us is then coming and interacting with each other. So my fear is rubbing off on your fear and we're like, it's contagious. We know that. And so it, it's, it, we, have, we have a lot more fear than empathy right now. And it, it really weighs on my heart. And I think then you add the relational element to it. I talk about in my second book, Frentimacy, I quote Henry Nowen, I believe, where he talked about the greatest fear that's the root of all other fears is the fear of rejection. And mm-hmm. so like, if, you know, we're afraid of public speaking only because we're scared of like everyone not liking us, right? Like at the bottom of everything, when we walk into a room, when I walk into a conference, I'm mindful of the fact that I have a really positive history of relationships. And yeah, I'll walk into a conference that I don't know anybody and immediately me without even knowing it. And I'm trying to be more cognizant of it, but I still, it's like, you don't even realize how much your life is run by fear. I walk into a conference and I'm looking around. Am I overdressed? Do I fit in? Am I the only woman here? Am I da, 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 da? And we have like these, we're basically asking the question, do I belong here? Like we all are doing that on an ongoing regular basis. More so it's almost automatic and quiet. But every single yeah. one of us walks into everything and says, do you accept me? Do you like me? People go home from interactions and replay the conversations in their heads sometimes of like what happened and what they wish they had said and the remorse and every single one of us 
is just trying to believe we're okay, <laughs> that yeah. we are likable, that we are lovable. And I think there's a lot in life right now that is leaving us feeling very vulnerable and very hungry and very hungry for that love. And so we're showing up and I always say it's not a problem to be needy. We all have human needs. It's how we go about getting those needs met that can be problematic or good, but we all have the human needs. And yeah, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. I'm just reiterating. <laughs> it's a really big thing, but fear is contagious and so is friendship and love. And uh, the studies are so powerful that when we can show up and be the person who says, I'm going to be a connector, I'm going to be somebody who helps build this, who helps foster this, it too is contagious. And so we are affected by each other's mood. And so for those of us who are willing to say, I'm going to do my very best to ground myself in love today. I'm going to do my very best to recognize I have fears, but I'm not going to let those run me. I'm not going to make my decisions out of them. I'm going to do my very, very best to show up and offer love. It does, does make a difference. It is contagious. Love it. Okay. And speaking of love, before we wrap up here, I want to make the link between leadership and practical love. The whole reason we call this show love in action, right? Love in this case is is a verb that helps to inspire and motivate. How does a leader love well day in and day out? Mm. So we take those three requirements of relationship, positivity, vulnerability, and consistency, and they create a definition of relationship for me, which is any relationship where we both feel seen, which is vulnerability, in a safe, which is consistency, and satisfying, which is positivity way. So any relationship where two people both feel seen in a safe and satisfying way, one of the most beautiful ways we can love right now as leaders or as anybody is how can I help see this person, each person on my team, the person in front of me, this client, the question really is how can I help see them in a way that feels good to them? Like that's really what every single interaction comes down to. And that's really my new, so in this podcast, you're doing this. I, and I, and it's kind of one way and I hate that part, but yeah, it's kind of like, how can we both make sure that the other person knows that I see them? and can say, I care about what you're saying and who you are, and then affirms them and validates. And that's probably the most important thing is that we think it sometimes that we could, we should do such a better job of expressing the affirmation we have for people, what we admire in them, what we like in them. Those are easy ways to start making sure that we help minimize that person walking away, wondering what we thought about them. Let's just tell them we like them. Like, let's just start helping change this. So yeah, leaders, we could Like just how can you say something that shows this person you see them? Even if you only have five minutes, what's something that says, I see you and you matter and I like you. And anything we can say that leaves somebody with that, that is the positivity that's going to make them want to be consistent with this and and want to show up and be vulnerable with us. And so Mm -hmm. we just keep practicing those three things over and over and over. And we will leave people feeling seen in safe and satisfying ways. Yeah, yeah. Practice creates new habits and helps to change your brain to that habit. So thank you for that. We end our episodes. With two final questions. Personally, Shasta, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? Mm. Oh, what's tugging at my heart right now? I just feel, I feel a lot of weight, I'll just say politically, honestly, and just thinking about the fear that so many people are showing up with and the, the lack, the, the, it seems to appear that we're having a hard time loving each other well around what we would consider political opinions and beliefs. And that's just weighing on my heart. So yeah, I've been spending a lot of time just thinking about how it just feels like things are feel very divided and I'm trying to sit with how do we actually love people who believe differently than us mm. in this era. So yeah, sitting with, sitting with that and that's weighing on me these days. Yeah, yeah, it's weighing a lot of us, me included. So finally, you close us out with uh, one thing, that one final takeaway that 
you can bring us home with. Mm. Yeah, I wish everybody here would just take out a post-it note and write down the names of three to five people, especially at work, who you want to, who you feel close to and who you want to protect those relationships or people you want to feel close to. And maybe even you add a name on there of somebody in your work organization who is different than who you are, Come, is a new hire maybe, or somebody who comes from a minority group at your organization. But, but just kind of make a list of three to five people. I think so often it's easy for us to keep this as like, yeah, I want more relationships. But if you don't actually name who it is you're prioritizing, I would put that post-it note up on my computer and I would just throughout the day be looking down and being like, oh, I need to practice consistency with this person. I, they're on my list and yet I haven't talked to them in two weeks, you know, or like, oh, I'm talking to this person all the time. She's on my team meetings, but we're not actually doing much sharing. So what could I be doing there? And so, yeah, just kind of draw, maybe draw a little triangle of the positivity, consistency, vulnerability on that post-it note, write down three to five names, stick it on your computer. And you'll be amazed at just how subtly you'll start saying, relationships don't just happen. So if you're lonely, you have to do something about it. And we know what you have to do about it. It's these three things. And so if it comes down to it, you are, you can do this. Like I would say, this is not an individual problem that we have this much loneliness. This is a systemic problem, but we also can do something about it. So be encouraged, be empowered to lean into a few of those relationships. I love it. Shasta, it's been real. It's been fun. I know you got to get rolling. You got something else going on, but if People want to connect with you. Point us now to your website and how to get resources and all that. Yep. Thebusinessoffriendship.com is the best place to get all those free resources I was talking about, videos and assessments and bonus chapter and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's where you can get the book. And then I do corporate trainings and speaking and mostly virtual speaking these days and team offsites, but we're all offsite now. So why do we need a new word? Have you heard a new word? What are team offsites called these days now that we're all offsite? <laughs> got to come up with that. But yeah, so all of that, you can find me at ShastaNelson.com. Thank you so much. It's been a blast running into you again after so many years. So thanks I for your love time. It. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. And good interviewing, Marcel. And great podcast. That. And congratulations on episode 80. Yeah. And congratulations on everything you're doing and your new book, which is called The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of the Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time. Check that out. So my special thanks again to Shasta Nelson for sharing her wisdom. And thank you for joining us and spreading the Love in Action movement globally, which has been now heard in over 130 countries. If you like this episode, we would be grateful if you could just share it with others. And if you or your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love in Action podcast, I'd love to chat with you. You can reach out to me on my website, marcelschwantes.com or on LinkedIn. Join me next week as I sit down with Walt Rakowicz to discuss his latest book, Transfluence, How to Lead with Transformative Influence in Today's Climates of Change. Until then, remember, the future of work is love in action. Try it and be convinced. Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.